We are finishing up uh, Romans chapter 8. We've been in the past few weeks. Brad's been taking us through it. Now we come to the end. This is uh, one of the sweetest passages of all of Scripture, in my opinion. Uh, One of those passages I personally can't hear enough. Uh, I suspect you might be the same way. Uh, I'm going to do some break with tradition. For what? Why not throw a curveball in here uh, and have you guys stand as we read God's word? Uh, this is it's the posture of reverence, right? We're hearing from our King. This is God's word, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, quoting from Psalm 44, For your sake we we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you do not leave us on our own. Leave it to us to figure out who you are and how you relate with us. We ask that you would, by your mercy, Speak to us this morning. Would you open our ears, open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have to teach us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm, ex- I'm guessing that the majority of us in this room don't uh, do rock climbing on a regular basis. I could be wrong. Um, maybe you've tried it. I hope you have. It's pretty fun. Uh, I used to do it a decent bit in college, not so much in recent years. Um, it's fun. A lot of students on campus enjoy it. There's a good climbing wall at the rec center. <clears throat> Honestly, whether you've done it or not, I feel comfortable using this illustration because I think you probably know how it works. You climb rocks, um, and that's all there is to it. Um, But the reason I bring this up is because I think it really does offer us a really helpful illustration of how being a Christian actually works, uh, and also what it feels like a lot of the times. Uh, Despite whatever rock climbing looks like to you, it's actually pretty safe if you're doing it right, and it's not hard to do it right. Um, Right, You're strapped in, you've got this harness that's fastened uncomfortably tight to you, Uh, you've got a rope that you're tied into, you're anchored. 
and it's really quite safe. But here's what happens inevitably the first time anyone goes climbing. I've never seen this not happen. Um, the first time you go climbing, you're strapped in. Inevitably, you're going to lose your grip. You're going to slip off the rock. And as you fall back uh, from the rock, your instinct is to grab the rope and to hold on for dear life. Um, because you feel like your safety depends on how tightly you can hold on and how well you can hold yourself up, even though the reality is that you're, you're tied in, you're anchored, uh, whether you're holding on or not. So in other words, you feel like your safety depends on the, the strength of your grip when the reality is that your safety depends on the strength of whatever it is you're anchored to. Your safety depends on, on what is outside of yourself. It rests outside of yourself. So if you're wanting to figure out before you climb, is this safe? Am I safe here? Am I secure? What you need to look at is what it is that's actually holding you up. You need to examine the security of what you're anchored to. And the exact same thing is true for the Christian life. Uh, if you want to figure out whether or not you're actually safe in this thing, uh, whether you'll make it through, you need to look at what's actually holding you up. You need to examine your anchor and that is exactly what this passage is inviting us, I'd say urging us to do, to examine what we're anchored to. Uh, so what are those moments when you feel uh, like you, you, when, when you doubt your security with God? What are those moments? When you, what are those moments when you feel like your grip is slipping? You kind of doubt your safety? Uh, what are those moments when you, when you wonder if maybe you're just a fraud? Have you had those thoughts? Um, I have. Maybe you you look at your struggles, you look at your failures. Maybe you compare your life to what you imagine other Christians' lives looking like and you begin to question your security as a Christian. What are those moments when you wonder whether God sees what's going on in your life? You question your security as uh, in your status as a child of God because you look at your life and it feels like he's not paying attention. It feels like, it looks like he maybe isn't caring for you, it's in those, those profoundly painful and sad and hard moments in life, and you wonder, am I really a child of the king? Because it looks like he's not caring for me. Um, it is for those moments that this passage is inviting us to examine the security of our anchor. So that's what I want us to do this morning. We're, I just want us to take a close look at our anchor, what we're tied into, and to consider the logic, the unbreakable logic of the Christian's security in Christ. Uh, that's it. That's the one point. I don't think you're supposed to announce your outline if you only have one point, but I'm announcing my outline. There's one point, and it is this. If you are a Christian, you have every reason to feel secure and confident in Christ. Or you could say it, on the flip side, you can see the flip side too. If you are a Christian, you have no justifiable reason to feel insecure in Christ. Imagine that. Like, imagine what that would look like if you never felt insecure in Christ. Look at verse 28. This verse gets quoted a lot. Uh, it gets misused a lot too. We looked at it last week. We're not really going to dig into it very far. But it says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, that's encouraging, right? Sounds optimistic. How can we be so sure, those of us who are a little bit skeptical? 
How can we be so sure? Is there any real reason for that kind of optimism? Well, here's the answer. For, because, here's the reason that we can know that all things work together for good. It's because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, Skipping down, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Uh, There's a ton of stuff here. Here's what I want you to catch is just this. When it talks about us being foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified, what Paul has in mind is the entirety of your life as a Christian. The whole thing of your salvation, the entirety, from beginning to end. Actually, from before the beginning till after the end of your life as a Christian is what he has in view. The whole thing. So grammar lesson time. Uh, those, two sen- those two sentences, there are five verbs. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Who is the subject of every single one of those verbs? Who's the active one in those verbs? It's God. Every single one of them. He foreknew. He predestined. He called, he justified, he glorified. What does that tell us about our salvation, about the entirety of our salvation? It means that God is the one with the active role the whole time, from beginning to end and every single step along the way and into eternity. God is the one with the active role. He is the protagonist. He's the main character. And what's the verb tense? What verb tense does he use? Every single one is past tense, right? Every single one. It is done. It is finished. It is a, an accomplished reality. He has foreknown you. He has predestined you. He has called you. He has justified you. He has glorified you. That one will blow your mind, right? Past tense, glorified. Even though in our ex- present experience, uh, glory, uh, perfect peace, freedom from sin and death and suffering and unfulfilled desires and frustration, all of that is very, very future for our experiences. But he's saying, as far as Christ is concerned, it's as good as done. It is fully accomplished in his death and his resurrection. There's nothing left to be accomplished. Okay, what's the point? Why did I just take us on that journey through grammar? It's because that's our anchor. That's our security. Your salvation... And your security in Christ never was and never will be about how tightly you're holding on. Your security in Christ never was and never will be about how victorious you feel in the Christian life. It never was and it never will be about how faithful you are in pursuing God. It never was and never will be about how bold and how confident you feel as a Christian. Not to mention all the other things we wrap up our security in, in terms of how good of a parent am I? How good of a sibling am I? How good of a friend am I? How good of a minister am I? Your security has always been and will always be based in what He has done once and for all on your behalf. Thank the Lord. In other words, what that means is just because your weaknesses and your struggles cause you to doubt on a daily basis how strong your grip is on Christ does not mean that he actually has a weak grip on you. Uh, Just because you have doubts about God's commitment to you because of things you see in your life doesn't mean that he doubts his commitment to you. Because it never was and never will be about anything you or I have ever brought to the table. 
That's just grace, right? That's grace. That's what we call it. Your security as a child of God is founded on what God has done for you freely without cost in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing that we, gotta, we have to come to grips with. Either what God has done for us in Christ is enough for us or it's not. Either what Christ accomplished is sufficient or it's not. And honestly, if it's not, if what Christ did in his death and his resurrection and sitting at the right hand of God, if that's not actually enough to secure us forever, then we are wasting our time. We might as well pack it up and go home. But if it is actually enough, then it means it's enough for you. It means it's enough for me. It means it's enough for your past. It means it's enough for your future to all eternity. Nothing can possibly stand in its way because it's something that God himself has done. Either he did it or he didn't. And if he has done it, then you have to be secure. That's the logic of our security. That's it. It's that simple. God did it. You're secure. It's not about what you brought to the table. Here's how our culture deals with insecurity. Um, they say when, you, when you're feeling insecure, when you look at your life, you don't really like what you see. When you feel threatened, when you feel exposed, you're just supposed to look inside yourself, find your inner strength, find your inner beauty, find the good, and just keep on trucking, right? Um, like think of every single self-help book you've ever seen. Think of everything Oprah Winfrey has ever said. Um, I, I actually, I really did look for a quote that I thought would just like epitomize our culture's view of how we're supposed to deal with insecurity. And there t- I was crippled by possibilities, so I gave up. <laughs> um, our culture says just look inside yourself and find your strength. Find, the, find what's beautiful if you're feeling uh, like your life is threatened, if your security is threatened. God has a very, very different message for us. He says you probably don't want to look at yourself. If you're looking for some security, you ought to look outside yourself. Actually, quit paying so much attention to yourself. Start paying attention to me. Look at me. Look at my strength. Look at what I have done for you. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? What do we do with this? If God is for us, who can be against us? What are you afraid of? What can possibly threaten you? If God's on your side. Do you think that God's going to forget you? Do you think he's going to overlook one of your needs? Uh, Do you think maybe he kind of just doesn't see what's going on in your life? Or maybe he just has something other than your best interests in mind? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you think God's going to forget you. So you think God doesn't have your best interests in mind. Hey, he gave his son for you. And now you think somehow he might not hold on. Now you think somehow he'll just sort of overlook some of your other needs. That's the logic of our security. Then he goes on, he breaks down the logic here by addressing very directly two of the most common sources of our feelings of insecurity, all the, thing, the, the, the two things that we most typically feel like threaten our security with God. The first one is our guilt, our failures. The fact that, you, hey, you look at my track record, and it just doesn't look all that good. 
Um, we, you look at what, what about the repetitive patterns of weakness and temptation and failure that have characterized my life up until this point and will continue to? What about that? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? I have so many of these conversations with students. Uh, if I spent more time with you guys, I would have a lot of these conversations with you. If you hung out with me, you'd have these conversations with me. Um, <clears throat> struggling with the same old sin. Struggling with the same old temptation. Just won't go away. As soon as you feel like you've got a little bit of freedom, it just seems to come right back. You fall right back into it. Usual suspects, right, as I talk to students, pornography, unhealthy relationships, partying, Um, I just had the conversation a couple of weeks ago. In that instance, it was pornography. And the student's just undone. Says, how could I possibly honestly be a Christian and be struggling with this? How can I honestly be sure that my struggles and my failures aren't going to have the final word in my story? Can I actually be a Christian? Could, could God really be holding on to me if my life looks the way that it does? If you're a Christian, you know exactly what they're talking about because you've been there too. Maybe you're there right now. How can I be sure that God will actually receive me when even I myself, the sinner, am disgusted by what I see in my life? The answer is because Jesus died. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he didn't just die, he actually rose again. And who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. It is paid for, it is done, there is no debt left outstanding. That's how you can be sure that God will receive you. And he is there interceding presently, right now, and in the midst of your mess... Jesus Christ at the right hand of God saying, this one's yours. That's paid for. There is no more debt. And then the second common source of our insecurities are when things are hard. When life is just dark and painful. Verse 35, who shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. What about when my life feels like it's caving in around me? What about when I lose my job? What about when my relationships are falling apart? What about when I'm depressed and when I'm anxious, when I'm lonely, when I'm hurting? Uh, What about when that diagnosis comes in? What about when marriage is hard? What about when my children are in danger? What about when I just can't? Figure out how this thing could possibly have any light at the end of the tunnel. Should I just conclude that God has quit caring for me? Maybe he doesn't love me anymore. Should I conclude that he has lost control? Maybe he's he's losing his grip. Uh, Maybe he's just asleep at the wheel. What about then? Because it feels like in those moments we are being, we're being forgotten. It feels like we're being killed every day. That's what verse 36 says. It says, here's what it feels like, God. It feels like sometimes you're treating me like a sheep who's headed to a slaughterhouse. I'm guessing those sheep don't get treated too gently. Verse 37, no. In all those things, we are more than conquerors. What? How? 
How in the world? It actually feels like the exact opposite. It doesn't feel like I'm more than conqueror. It feels like I'm more than conquered. Um, how in the world? Well, it is through him. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through the one who has once and for all defeated sin and death and tears and sadness once and for all and who is ushering us, <clears throat> who is leading us hand in hand through this wilderness, through the land of exile, toward our true home. Paul is saying, think about it. Think about what God has done for you. Think about the logic behind the fact that God has given his son for you. I like the way one pastor summarized it. He says, <coughs> excuse me. He says, it is incredible, relentless, intense logic. It is logic on fire. Paul is saying, think. Are you afraid? You're not thinking. Are you worried? You aren't thinking. Are you guilty? You aren't thinking. See the logic of free grace and justification. These aren't dry doctrines. They are life itself. And if you are not living with overwhelming assurance and power, you haven't really understood them. If you are not living with overwhelming assurance and power, you have not understood grace. So what are you holding on to? What are you honestly looking at to gauge your security? We're pretty, we're pretty terrible judges of security, right? We're honestly terrible. Think about classic example, riding in a car versus riding in an airplane. We are terrible judges of security. Um, if, you were, if you asked me to examine my security riding on an airplane, I don't know. I wouldn't know. I, the wings are attached. I guess. I don't know. Um, but then the engine starts making some whirring noise, and I'm like, uh-oh, that's probably not good, right? I don't know. Um, how much turbulence can we handle? I don't know. We are terrible judges of our security. What are you looking at? What are you holding on to? If you are looking at yourself, if you are looking at the circumstances in your life, if you are looking at however victorious you feel in your fight against sin, if you're looking at how tight your grip is on that rope, you have not yet come to grips with the reality of grace. You have not yet understood how the Christian life works. It never was and never will be about how tightly you're holding on to Christ. It's about how tightly he's holding on to you. For those of you who maybe aren't Christians, maybe you're not sure, you're not really sure what you think about this. Somebody dragged you to church and you're like, I don't know about all this stuff and this guy up front's making me even less sure. Um, what's keeping you from Christ? That's what I would ask you. Honestly. Like, what's keeping you from it? Because if it's anything in you, if it's anything in yourself, if you look at yourself and you're like, I, didn't, I don't really think I could fit in this church thing, uh, if you're doubting whether you could really keep it up, then you haven't really understood what Christianity is about. You haven't really understood grace. Um, I love uh, this. There's a, a great quote from Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the past 200 years. I also like to say my favorite Baptist. Um, who He's explaining his story of how he became a Christian um, 
And at the, because at the center of what was keeping him from actually becoming a Christian was, he, he says, he knew that if anybody could, if it was possible to fail at being a Christian, then he would. He said, if anybody th- can mess this thing up, then I will. And he says this, he says, I knew that I could not keep myself, but, and this was the turning point for him, but I realized that if Christ promised to keep me, then I would be safe forever. I cannot keep myself, but if Christ promises to keep me, then I'll be safe forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us for our insecurities because all we've done is minimized your grace and minimized your power. Forgive us, Father, for the very, very small view we have of you and what you've done, and forgive us for our overinflated view of the significance of the things that we do. Would you correct our thinking? Would you please loosen our grip on our own righteousness and what we bring to the table and give us true rest in the firmness of what you've accomplished for us in Christ? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.